Hi, Tim. Hey, Ash. Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall, where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways that we can promote positive change in musical theater. And we have been promoting positive change in musical theater for 18 episodes this wow. year. I, it has gone by so fast. I know. This is going to be our last episode of 2019. We're taking next week off for a holiday break for ourselves. And we will also be at a musical theater educators International Alliance concert in Concert. Concert? <laughs> conference. <laughs> conference. Sometimes it feels like a concert, though. <laughs> conference in San Diego, as well as um, visiting some family. And so we're taking next week off, but we will be back with you at the beginning of 2020 with some new exciting episodes and some new bonus episodes we have cooked up for you. What puzzler do you have for us this week, Tim? All right. Since we are moving into New Year's Eve, we're getting closer and closer, I thought we'd uh, talk a little bit about Times Square. Uh, since that's a major hub for the New Year's Eve celebration. So my puzzler is, what was the original name of Times Square? Great question. I thought it, I thought you'd like that. So we'll backtrack. Uh, we'll come back to that answer and we'll discover it together at the end of this episode. So what's in the news? Just a few things I wanted to mention. First, of course, we have to mention and talk about, just for a second, the Cats. Yes, musical the Cats. that came out. Movie uh, musical. Yes, and it has been receiving many mixed reviews, some really good, some really bad. Uh, in my social circle of friends, many people have had many uh, questions about the choices that have been, the creative choices that have been made uh, about the show. But more importantly, I'm just excited that we're starting to see more musicals being produced on the cinema. I think this is a really important thing to keep the advancement of musical theater going. Uh, and sure. I, 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 I celebrate that. And I want to celebrate our dear friend, Jacob Brent. Hi, Jacob. Who played Mr. Mistopheles in the film version and I believe in the one of the, the Broadway, after it opened, not mm -hmm. the original, but on Broadway and a few other productions. And so he, it's um, such an exciting thing. I know for him, I've been watching his Facebook feed to revisit that. And he, we saw an interview that he just did. Yeah, on Playbill.com, he was interviewing Robert Fairchild, uh, who starred in the film most recently and talking a little bit about, you know, their experiences together performing in various productions of Cats. And I thought that was really cool to see Jacob on Playbill.com. Yeah. And, and I wasn't even looking on his feed. I just came up randomly. It was really funny. So congratulations, Jacob. We're rooting for you always. And then next, I wanted to mention that there is a production of The Most Happy Fella, mm -hmm. who is, uh, which is directed by Daniel Fish, who directed the most recent revival of Oklahoma. And it's going to be done uh, next year, right? That's correct. It's going to be produced at the same uh, summer festival where Oklahoma originally started, the revival of Oklahoma originally started. And I believe it's going to be opening July 7th and running through August 2nd, 2020. Oh, uh, so a very short run. Yeah, at least it's a trial, you know, and usually that's how many shows start. And if it picks up steam, then maybe it'll go to a larger stage. But uh, I, I did a little digging and I found out that uh, this particular production is going to feature an ensemble cast of seven performers who will not be divided into the musical's traditional roles. And then a casting notice that I came across stated, end quote, that they are seeking for performers who identify as transgender, non-binary, and queer, and they're strongly encouraged to audition. So that gives me hope. And I'm really excited to see what Daniel Fish does with this production. It's awesome to see that in casting breakdowns mm -hmm. now. And I think it is interesting because this musical is about 
I've never seen it, but we know it's about an older man falling in love with a younger female. Yes. So, it, you know, we'll see. I'm excited. At least he's doing something different with it, and we'll see what happens. And like we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, we it, I think we all deserve to give them their opportunity to have their voice heard. Absolutely. And then, of course, we have our last little bit of news here. There's going to be a benefit concert of Ragtime Musical, which is actually the first musical I ever saw on Broadway. Not a bad way to start your Broadway experience, huh? I know. Did you see Brian Stokes Mitchell and Audra McDonald? I'm going to say yes, but honestly, I don't. (laughs) I was in high school. Uh Ooh, I was in high school back then. And all I remember is there's a gunshot. That's right. Right? The gunshot. Uh-huh. I remember I was so tired. The gunshot woke me up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That doesn't say much if you fell asleep during ragtime. Well, you know, on those tours, they take you, you're like, it's like a 12 hour day. I was exhausted, but that I remember true. that gunshot. And I remember <laughs> just like, uh, I love musicals. I need to do this for my career. So, so yeah, this, uh, this, this show, uh, the, this production of Ragtime is going to bring back Audrey McDonald and Brian Stokes Mitchell in the title roles, and um, they're going to be performing for the Actors Fund, and it's really dedicated to uh, their co-star of the original production of Ragtime, uh, Maren Maisie, who obviously passed away and everyone was heartbroken, and so um, they're going to pay tribute, uh, both Brian Stokes Mitchell and Audrey McDonald, to Maren Maisie through this production of Ragtime. I was thinking this year, this year, mm-hmm. I was thinking about this year, mm-hmm. 2019. Yes, 2019. And I was starting to, not only for myself, but for everyone out there, starting to consider accepting the things that are really out of our control in this business. Mm-hmm. And how do we accept the things that we cannot control in a very healthy way? Mm-hmm. And being able to identify those things, mm-hmm. things, and being able to be okay with the ones that we can't control and focusing on the moments that we can control. We've talked about this a bit in the past. Yeah, yeah. Actually, our last episode, I think, started moving in this direction a little yes. bit. Yes. Uh, and this also applies not just to performers. We're talking about creatives as well. If yes. you're a designer, if you're a stage manager, director, musical director, or choreographer, um, I think, you know, having an open discussion about, you know, what you can control mm-hmm. both inside the audition room and in the creative space, mm-hmm. I think a really important conversation to have. What you can and what you can't control. Yes. And I think as we're moving out of 2019... And moving into 2020, and there have been a lot of auditions taking place, getting ready for the spring audition season or the production season. So many auditions, both at the collegiate level and the professional level, have been yes. going on recently. Uh, I know we just cast a chorus line a couple days ago, and we had a really great turnout. And I heard a lot of friends are auditioning for other shows regionally get moved to move into the spring year. And I think it's really important to have a conversation with uh, both about creatives and about directors and about uh, performers about what we can control. So what aspects can you control in an audition? There are a lot. Mm -hmm. What you sing, what you wear, what you walk in, how you act, how prepared you are. But what can you not control in an audition room as a performer? This is a very important question because I think so hard we, you know, after an audition, we try and get inside the head of the director when we audition. So the first thing is uh, we can't control the director's concept or the vision of the creative team how they view certain characters and what they're looking for. I think that's something you can't control. Yes. And as a performer, it is very challenging to not question if I had done this or if I had sang the song differently or if I had worn something differently. And you can't control the other side of the table. 
And you also cannot control who else is in the room, who else is at that audition. That's right. And I've been in auditions where there have been nine people at the table and there have been mm -hmm. one person at the table. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it gets in your head sometimes. You start questioning, you know, uh, who are all these people uh, and, and what do they represent as part of the show? Uh, are they paying attention to me? Uh, you know, like all these things are running around in your head and it does you no good to do that. Mm-hmm. Your job, you have a job to go into. You have to focus on your storytelling. You have to focus on your music, focus on your preparation, right? You let, if you are in control of that, trust that process. And you have to accept the fact that the creative team has their interpretation of this production. And hopefully it aligns for you and you get the callback and subsequently get booked in the production. But oftentimes if it doesn't, you, it doesn't do any good to sit there and question what went wrong or what happened or what were they thinking, and many times, I believe that everything happens for a reason. Many times that role or that show or that team of people, were it was just not meant to be. That's right. It wasn't the show for you because there is something else around the door. We all have that moment where we are so upset and distraught and we go through anxiety and depression because we didn't get a role that we thought we were perfect for. Mm -hmm. And you may be perfect for it, but not for that production. That's right. And for that director's particular production, maybe it wasn't just the right time for you. Right. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're any less talented. It just means that there's another opportunity waiting to happen. And so let me ask you, what are things that we can all do as artists to help us move past a previous audition? Or even a previous, say, concept, conceptual pitch as a scenic designer or costume designer. Mm. And maybe that pitch doesn't go the way we want it and we don't end up booking the job because their vision doesn't align with the director's vision, etc. Right. I think the most important thing you can do is to, it's almost going through the stages of, the stages of grief. Yeah. Yes. I, that's a better way of saying it. It's the stages of grief that you're going through. Because it, it is a part of you. You If you tell yourself as an actor, if you say, okay, I left the audition, I'm just leaving it all there, mm -hmm. it, you're not allowing yourself to be a human being. Mm -hmm. So what I have found works for me very well now as an adult human <laughs> that's been there and, is to leave the audition and be satisfied with what I did in the room. And to make a note in mm -hmm. a list of this is what went really well. And this is what I want to work on. Not that even this did not go well, but this is something I wasn't as prepared. I wasn't off book and I want to be off book from now on. And mm -hmm. this is what I can do next time to feel more prepared. Or I wasn't able to kind of let go of my insecurities and my tension and I couldn't relax and just be in the moment. Or I yeah. wasn't able to, I don't remember what the room looked like. And, and next time I go in, I want to take even a millisecond to assess the room and where people are. And so I try to note that in my mind. This I was really happy with. These are the things that I want to work on mm -hmm. for next time. Yeah. And I think that's helpful. It's a, it's a helpful way to analyze it because you're going to do it again in another week or two weeks or a month or depending on when your next audition is. Well, and there, there, there's an interesting point because auditioning in New York City is a very different experience than auditioning in Southern California. And the reason I say that is because in New York City, you can hit up five auditions in one day. You know, you can jump around Midtown. For and, musical theater. For musical theater or plays even. Sure. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know? uh, and not just those, uh, variety shows, all kinds of things, because mm -hmm. obviously New York City, Manhattan is a hub for many major regional theaters to come in and audition for their productions. Mm -hmm. In Southern California, where we are based, it, it's a lot more challenging because you know you have an audition coming up, say, in a week or two. Right. And that may be the only audition you have 
for months. Well, I think it depends. Yes. It depends on what level you're at. Correct. Because there are always community theaters, but regionally I'm we I'm talking have, about like professional sure. equity regional theater. And so it, there's a lot of weight on mm-hmm. that. And I think after you audition to analyze and to make a, a, a game plan for the next time for something else to work on so you're always actively moving forward is very helpful. Mm-hmm. But I also think there has to be a moment of I did the very best I could in that moment, on that day, at that time, in that time of my life. And you have to really let it go. You have to tell yourself it's a mental game. You have to tell yourself, this is my job. I showed up. I showed Mm -hmm. up. I did it because I could have not showed up. That's right. I could have gotten very scared, very conscious. I could have not showed up and made the time for that, for my craft. But I did. And that is... Success number one. That's true. And I've had I've had many students ask me, you know, what can I do to get over this feeling of anxiety and nerves and and anger and frustration that I feel after an audition? It doesn't go my way. I tell them the best advice that I can give you is get back in the room. Yes. Get back into the next audition. Yes. It'll force you to shift your mentality and move into the next phase of your audition sequence uh you'll the quicker you get back into the audition room mm-hmm. the quicker you let the old baggage go go yes or head straight back into a, a class or if you didn't do well in a dance audition or a dance callback okay what can i do so i feel more prepared mm-hmm. next time and and that goes back to the things that you can control yes you know if you're in a dance callback and you're just in the weeds and you're like you know what i cannot tap and they asked me to tap then what are you going to do? Fix the problem, solve the problem, get yes. back into the studio, train, 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 so that next dance callback, you feel that much more confident. And that goes back to what you can control in the room, your technique, your training, your preparation, all those things, you know? And then trusting that hopefully your interpretation of, of how you are auditioning for a certain role in a show lines up with the creative teams. And, then and I think we can't even, I, I'm going to push back a little bit there if you don't mind, Tim. is that I don't think it can be hope that what we're doing is enough. Because if we say, I did everything, I am perfect, I was prepared, and then it's like, why didn't I get the role? It is, that was my job, I did my job. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think because... But ultimately, you have to accept that it could go in one way or another direction. That's all. You know, you can control what you can control in the room. And then after you walk out, you say, you know what, I did the best I could. And we'll find out. And success of that audition is not based upon if you get the role or not. Success is based upon I did what I could do. And one thing I think that as you start to get older and more experience is the most comfortable I've ever been at an audition is when I am so prepared mm-hmm. that I am calm, I'm not shaken, I'm not reading my lines i'm not freaking out about anything the the most prepared which has now been the past especially the past couple of years of my career the because i am so prepared that i am so comfortable in my own skin in that moment well no longer feels like an audition it just feels like you're showing up and you're presenting what you've worked on yes and you no longer feel those nerves of maybe something could go wrong because you right. have done the homework you have memorized those sides you have prepared that music you're excited to go in the room and showcase how hard you've worked on this audition. And those are the people that are generally going to get much farther in this industry, I believe. Yes, that comfort level of, you know what, I didn't, 
I didn't do that really well. Can we, let, do you mind can I sing that song again? Or mm-hmm. being able to make choices in the room because you have all that preparedness behind you, yep. backing you, that foundation, that you feel comfortable to look around the room, to make mistakes, to connect with the reader, to be able to be you in the room versus what's my lines? Where am I? Exactly. Am I doing yeah. it? You can let all that start to go and it takes, that takes time. Mm-hmm. It really does. And I think if you are that prepared, you'll walk away from your callback or audition accepting the fact that you did everything you could. Yeah. You know, and then leave it in the hands of the creative team. I just want to touch briefly. I want to ask really quickly. Yeah. Uh, when you get cast in a show, what are the things that you can and what are the things that you can't control when it comes to the rehearsal process and your collaboration with the creative team, the, being the director, the, the design team, the, the musical director, and the choreographer? What can you control as an artist and what can't you control? I think, are you asking about an actor as an actor's point from of view From a performer's first? perspective first, okay. yeah. So from a performer's perspective, it, being able to control you can't control everything because there are so many other people in the room right Mm -hmm. and there may be things that you really feel this character is going to feel in this moment or this is what you feel like your character should wear or this is you know your character should be down center stage with their arms out in this moment and Mm -hmm. that's not where you're guided by your director or your choreographer or your designer Mm -hmm. and you can't control that yes and so you can control, again, you being prepared. Mm-hmm. You coming in with thoughts, with choices, with research, with all of that information as much as you can on your end so that you can offer to the creative team your thoughts as a human being as well. And that's important because I believe we both subscribe to this philosophy as directors that it's a conversation. Yes. It's not a director dictating every aspect of the creative experience in the room, it is a mutual conversation between performer and director. And that's where, you know, uh, the excitement happens in the room. Yeah. Where the, where the newest and most freshest ideas occur in the room is when, you know, the director says, here's my vision for this moment. And the actor says, oh, I love that. What, what if I also tried this? And all of a sudden that, that quote unquote third idea that Rachel Chapkin and Diane Paulus always talk about yeah. comes to fruition in the room. And I think that is the most exciting nugget to take away from the creative experience. And that can only happen when all parties are prepared that's right the back work is done because as an actor if you don't come in the room i did the whole my whole i did a whole youtube video about Mm -hmm. this right Mm -hmm. what how you need to prepare as an actor before you go in the room the homework you need to do needs to be done before day one because then you can play that's right same thing i feel like as a director if you don't come to the room prepared nothing can be molded or shifted or changed because you're doing all of that work in the room for the first time and that's there's, there's nothing there's nothing scarier than opening than as a performer opening up a prompt book and or seeing a director open their prompt book and their script and there's not a single thing written into it. And I'm not saying that everyone has their own process but Absolutely. I would hope that there was some element of uh, in the writing or uh, in the score of the script, some element of research that had been applied so that when they're coming in, it's one thing to be organic, but I feel like that word organic is thrown around far too easily. Yes. And trust me, I'm all for an <laughs> organic experience, but also you have to come in so confident about the trajectory of where you're taking your, your ensemble 
in order to create an organic experience. It must be all in your mind. Maybe that's our OCD as being I directors. I'm not, I can't memorize all my staging beforehand. So I've got to come in and it's written down. I mean, my, my, my prompt books look a hot mess. Well, not a hot mess, an organized a mess structured of mess, yeah. all this information. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I, everybody works in their own way. Everybody has their own process. I really like being able to walk in and be like, oh, yeah, you have, especially when like you as a director, when you say, this is the path we're going. Mm -hmm. Hey, I want to try this. Cool. I see what you're trying. Now, can I just, what if this little moment, because it has to come from the director first, right? 100%. But if I'm prepared, then I can do it your way. And then I can say, oh, yeah maybe an add on to that. And that only happens when everybody in the room is prepared. Exactly. Because it just takes up so much time and it makes it so much slower. I agree. When it's not. But again, I you don't want to poop on anybody because everybody has their own process. That's right. It's just our opinion. So shall we head back to the puzzler? Sure. All right. So the question was, what was the original name of Times Square? And the answer is Long, Long Acre, Acre Square. Square. So just to give you a little uh, historical perspective, Times Square was named in 1904 after the New York Times moved its headquarters to the then newly erected Times Building, which is now one Times Square. Yes. And they because of the the transportation hub mm-hmm. that was happening in that area, they wanted to have their building there. And then they said, uh, we also want to rename this Times Square to... <laughs> That's right. And of course, you know, Times Square, if you know it today, it is a major artery right in the heart of Manhattan. Uh, I believe it's like where every major corner intersects and there are more theaters per, per square inch than any other part of Manhattan. So, you know, uh, but it was Long Acre Square before Times Square. So for today, we're going to end with uh, Ashley and I sharing our own personal, quick little personal experience, audition experience, and um, <laughs> the things we could control and the things we couldn't control in the room. <laughs> you want to go first? Uh, yes. As I'm, as I'm hackling, <laughs> what a great way to end our year with everyone, Tim. Yes, all of our most <laughs> unfortunate audition experiences. Um, you know, I, I I will share an audition that I had when I was actually in undergrad. So I went to the University of Central Oklahoma, and we were doing. I think this is like my junior year in college or something. That is my last year or two. And we were auditioning for the Spitfire Grill, the musical. I love that show. And my mentor at that time, who was also the director of the show, Greg White. Shout out to Greg. If he, I don't know if he li- listens to this podcast, but I'll have to tag him and say, listen, I talked about you. You're famous. <laughs> no. And so we were having auditions for the Spitfire Grill. And I was called. I really wanted the lead. Um, and I was not called back for that role. I was called back for a different role. And I, and I don't even remember if I'm remembering this correctly, how it happened, but I think I went in and I was like, Hey, I just want to know why I wasn't called back for this role. I was called back for, for Shelby instead of Percy. And I could be making this up, but I feel like he said something like, I just don't see you in that role. And I was like, okay, I'm sure I wasn't as cool about it then (laughs) as I am now. And the callbacks came and they he was reading singing everybody for percy which is the big belt and she's the country girl and she's coming out of prison and da, da, da. And i remember him looking at looking around the room and i wasn't called back for it but looking and looking directly at me and saying ashley do you know this song and i said yes greg i know this song 
And he was like, would you mind coming singing it for us? And I was like, yeah, no, of course. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Sure, I'll come and sing it. And I got the role. And I remember in that moment about being prepared, I'm bringing it back around him. Mm-hmm. I was so prepared because I wanted that role so bad. And I don't know why, but I prepared both parts. And I Just pre- in case. I, I just thought there's something in my soul that was like, I'm going to work on that song too anyway in that callback side. And I went up and I did it. And I, for whatever reason, I got the role. Mm-hmm. And I hear that he still tells people about that because <laughs> he's still teaching there uh-huh. at UCO. So you never know what, what's going to happen in the room. Good point. It's a great it's a great one to talk about because mine is about not being prepared okay, <laughs> for audition. Tim. Well, okay, so this was um this was right out of graduate school. I went to Brandeis University uh, back in Waltham, Mass. Uh, shout out to Brandeis, amazing graduate theater program. Uh, and I was auditioning for New Repertory Theater's uh, production of Into the Woods. And I did my initial audition. It went great. And I was called back to read for Rapunzel's Prince, among other roles. And the side that I was asked to read was Agony. And I didn't read enough, uh, carefully enough, the um, the callback description, which said, prepare, please prepare the entire song. Uh-oh. And so I had prepared the first verse and the chorus. <gasps> so I get in the room and, um, and I, uh, I start to sing and I, it's going great. I'm confident. And... As I'm wrapping up the uh, the last part of the first chorus, the music keeps playing, and you get that da 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 da, uh, uh, and I'm looking at the MD who's playing the <laughs> piano, and I'm looking at I'm going to shout out to Rick Lombardo, who was the director at the time, also the artistic director of New Repertory Theater. Love you, Rick. Uh, he starts looking at me kind of confused, and I look at him confused, and in that moment, I probably should have said, you know what. I didn't prepare this second part. Do you mind if I grab, you know, some music or something to, to read it? I decided to make up my own lyrics to Agony. Stop it. And thinking that I they would magically somehow appear <laughs> in the front of my brain because I had lived with that show for so long. So I'm like, did I abuse her or show her disdain? Why is her hair so long? You know, I'm like making up words that somehow <gasps> rhymed in some weird shape. Or, and by the end of that, Rick is rolling on the floor laughing. And somehow I booked the show. No. I walked out of that room thinking, oh my gosh, I'm embarrassed. I should never show my face ever at this theater company. Uh, but I ended up booking into the woods, and that's actually how I got my equity card. Crazy little story, huh? That's fascinating. So I'm not saying you should ever make up lyrics to Sondheim or any other musical uh, song, but uh, I kept going through it, and it just showed that I wasn't necessarily as prepared as I should have been, but somehow I booked the role. Uh, yeah, so just be prepared. You were committed. I was committed. I made you choices. Were, you made choices. They were the wrong ones, but I made them. But you made them, <laughs> but you were committed and you didn't, you know, apologize for that. You nope. just, you just made it work. And I think there's something to be said about that. That is true. I could, cause I could have just stopped and, and, you know, walked out with my tail between my legs and, and ap- apologize, but I decided to keep going. You could have also said, I'm so sorry. I hate when people say that, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? In the room, I'm like, yeah. just... You could have turned around and said, can we do, you know, you did it. You just, just kept going. You just plowed right through. And there's something about that that is really intriguing and, and shows a lot of confidence. And I don't think it was like every lyric was wrong. I think it was just a matter <laughs> of like in that moment, you know, when you've heard a song so many times, they're like somewhere fishing around in your brain and yes. like you just need a minute to get them at the forefront. Mm-hmm. It must have been maybe like the first eight bars of that second verse that I was making up. But then I got back on track. 
Um, so anyway, it's like those when, are, you're, when you're doing a show and you've done the show like a thousand mm-hmm. times and then all of a sudden your brain is like, I, d- who, who am I? What am I? Who, yeah. What am I saying? So yeah. Fascinating. Good. Thanks for sharing, Tim. Yeah. We just want to wish you all a fantastic new year as we move into 2020. And I look forward to uh, having many more conversations with you, Ashley, in 2020. Thanks, and Tim. as we continue to break that fourth wall and keep promoting the kind of change we want to see in this industry. And if you are in the San Diego area and you're attending the conference, I know many people listen mm-hmm. to this, we are presenting a presentation at the Musical Theater Educators Alliance International Conference on breaking the fourth wall that is based on what we talk about on this podcast. And we can't wait to share that with all of those educators that are going to be at that conference and to continue to have these discussions on a a broad level, both in person and on the radio, radio and on the podcast (laughs) here with you in the air. So thanks, Tim, for spending time with me as well. And thank you to everybody out there. We'll see you in 2020.